Welcome to the Book to Write podcast. And after four experiments, I'd like to announce that this is officially the first episode. For those of you who kindly listened to the experiments, you'll know that the name Book to Write originates from the live version of a Jawbreaker song called Shirt, which was released on a 1996 CD. The phrase had changed from the original song and Book to Write existed in there, but secretly at the time, I wanted to write a book. I'd always wanted to write a book. And finally, in 2010, I had completed my bachelor's degree in literature. I hadn't yet started my master's degree. I found myself with a little bit more time and I decided to engage in a project at the time that was called NaNoWriMo, which stood for National Novel Writing Month. And it was every November there was a novel writing month and the challenge was to write a novel of a minimum of 50,000 words in 30 days. I embarked on this challenge and having loved literature for many, many years, most of my life in fact, um, particularly American literature and writers like Thomas Wolfe, Sylvia Plath, Scott Fitzgerald, John Steinbeck, Truman Capote, and many others, British writers such as Thomas Hardy, Virginia Woolf, uh, and I'd, I'd encountered literature from around the globe, Arabic literature, Asian literature, African literature, which had all captured my attention over the years, but at the time of writing this novel, to be honest, I was in a little bit of a dark place at the time. Things were not necessarily going all that well at work in England. My marriage had just ended. A relationship that I had after the marriage had ended. And I was highly influenced by Charles Bukowski, American author and poet who was unconventional to say the least, uh, and who I almost compared to being the literary equivalent of what the Sex Pistols were for music. He was like the punk author that came along and changed everything and, and really opened up the world of poetry and, and literature to many, many people who previously just found it inaccessible. But being inspired by him and writing this 30-day novel, I'm not sure in hindsight was necessarily the best thing because although the novel now is something that is still there and it is still something that does read receive positive feedback from friends because it's probably only sold about four copies in its entire existence, it's not something that I'm extremely proud of. It's not something that I advertise to many friends. Of course, I'm talking about it here in the podcast, but I, I don't go out and tell my family and friends, hey, by the way, you can get hold of this book here, um, unless it's someone who I really share some kind of deep artistic literary connection with. But that was a brief overview of where the name came from, again. And what I'd really like to get into is some music, as always, and what better way to start than with Jawbreaker, from whom the name came. Um, Jawbreaker were one of those bands that became one of my favourite bands, and in fact I would still say to this day that my favourite album is Dear You, 
my favorite album of all time probably not just of 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 jawbreaker and the thing with jawbreaker is they really went under the radar because they happened to exist at the same time as a little band that you may have heard of called nirvana and of course nirvana completely overshadowed everything that jawbreaker did I remember picking up the DAU CD of Jawbreaker in a little uh, store and it cost me almost nothing. I think at the time it cost me something like $1 and that was simply because it was unwanted and poor Jawbreaker were a real underground force but relatively unknown to the majority of people because they didn't quite fit into any particular genre if anything they were shoved more under the grunge category which as you know belonged almost primarily to Nirvana at that point and some of the the close bands like Dinosaur Jr and and, and others i went on to follow Blake Schwarzenbach the vocalist and um the writer of the majority of music from Jawbreaker in many of his other bands Jets to Brazil he then formed a band called The Forgetters and I went to see The Forgetters live in Brighton in the UK and I'll never forget because there were about seven people watching the show and no more and I was absolutely astonished that such a legend would be watched by so few people I walked over to Blake and shook his hand but we were both very shy and I just walked away and left it at that and really enjoyed the performance but felt really bad for for him and for the band many many years later 2019 I got the opportunity to see Jawbreaker live in Boston and it was an absolutely incredible show with thousands of people watching at the House of Blues I left really satisfied and really overjoyed that they'd reunited and were finally reaping the rewards of their career and being recognized and then of course the covid pandemic arrived and everything stopped once again jumping forward a few more years and in fact to last year 2022 jawbreaker once again went on tour and they were playing in cities that had strong covid protocols dallas where i live was not one of those but denver which is shortly uh, not too far north from me was one of those cities so jawbreaker performed in denver and I, i'd never been there before so i took the opportunity to get a ticket i flew out to denver i took a train from the train station into my hotel and went to watch jawbreaker and again a fantastic show thousands of people watching and i really wished that i could see blake and just congratulate him Anyway, the following night they were playing again, but I didn't have tickets to the second show. I went out and I had some dinner and I wasn't actually feeling all that well, so I decided to leave early and walk back to my hotel. And as I was walking along, I saw this lonely character standing on the corner of the street under a street light and sipping a cup of coffee, a plastic or paper cup of coffee. And I thought that looks a lot like Blake Schwarzenbach. As I got closer and closer I became more convinced and um I called out his name Blake 
And he looked up and said, yes. Anyway, we began to chat and we spent the next 20, 25 minutes just chatting on the corner of the street outside the hotel. And it was really interesting talking about literature, talking about life, talking about music. I I told him that I'd seen him with the Forgetters in Brighton with seven people and he laughed and said he remembered the show. Um, he told me that he was into English literature and literature from particularly from the north of England and, and from Scotland. And we found it funny that I liked American literature. And shortly after that, I left him alone because I don't want to be one of those people who harasses uh, their idols and doesn't leave them alone. So I went back to the hotel. I did see him again later that night in the hotel, and I did, but, but I didn't try to steal his attention. And I did see him again the following morning getting breakfast in the hotel. So he, he had, of course, stayed in the same hotel as me. But that was a really fantastic moment and just a really great time for me and a really that made the entire weekend and I was really grateful for that opportunity and having waffled on for nearly 10 minutes here I would like to play a jawbreaker song and even though the album Dear You got a lot of negative review from lifelong jawbreaker fans because it was considered too clean and too well produced this song remains one of my favourites and it's a song by the name of Accident Prone. Go back. 
Beautiful Accident Prone by Jawbreaker from their album Dear You. And I think as as the 90s rolled on and I'd mentioned already I went off to the UK, I was still living in South Africa, I went to the UK for the Reading Festival in 1998, saw Bad Religion, No Use for a Name, Lagwagon, 
The Specials, Beastie Boys, Blink-182, and uh, in fact, nearly passed out when Bad Religion were playing. It was, <laughs> I was so excited that I was on the brink of passing out, I asked a guy next to me to just lift me up so I could get onto the crowd and crowd surf. I crowd surfed and I was pushed to the front where I basically fell into the little gap between the stage and the security fence and the security guys grabbed me, threw me to the side. That was as, as Bad Religion were playing American Jesus. And I remember just security dropping me on the side. I was sitting there on the floor on the grass. And the UK crowd was so excited to have Bad Religion playing that they were swinging from the power cables and they were diving off the amplifier stacks. And the next thing, the entire venue was plunged into darkness. And um, it turned out that the... I, well, I don't know whether it was a power cart or whether the management had actually cut the power deliberately, but that was the end of the Bad Religion show. And as uh, the next year rolled around, 1999, I took the brave plunge of quitting my job. I was asked to sign a contract that guaranteed that all of our IT equipment would work, continue working into the year 2000, Y2K. And I wasn't willing to do that. And I was really eager to travel anyway. So I quit my job. I sold everything that I had. And I flew over to the USA. But before I get to the USA, I just wanted to talk about a song and a band that I've mentioned a few times here and I was driving earlier on and one of their songs came on and it just took me back a little in history and made me remember some good times and had me singing along in my car and and that song was by Face to Face and I will play that song now and then tell you a little bit about it.
was face to face with their song I'm Not Afraid that was released in 1992 and it took me back to a time when we were living in South Africa, my friends and I, Justin who I've mentioned several times who formed the band The Dixons with me and he'd actually found face to face somewhere along the line and brought a cassette tape with us on one of the drives and we started listening to it and the first song I thought oh this is this is pretty good this is quite good and then this came on this was the second song of the album and I thought wow this is really cool such great speed intensity great melody great harmonies and it became one of those tapes that we just played and played and played again and one of those bands that we came to love and who I've been lucky to see a couple of times recently. I saw them in San Diego early on in the year and I saw them again in Austin and I saw them again in Las Vegas um, three times in one year and, I've, and I had not before seen them so that was uh, quite exciting. And yes, speaking about San Diego and Austin, Texas and Las Vegas, Nevada, the first time that I moved to the USA was 1999. I quit my job, I sold everything I had and I flew over to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I was actually picked up in Pittsburgh by the family that were to be hosting me and sponsoring me. And they drove me to a little town called Indiana, Pennsylvania. And I spent my first two weeks in Indiana and living in this very unusual small town and I met very interesting people um, not least of whom was the owner of the home that I stayed in and his name was JJ and JJ was an artist he would spend most of his days sitting up in a room uh, painting little postcard sized images of barnyards and things like that, uh, little barns, I suppose the typical country type atmosphere was evoked in these these images but JJ was was a true gentleman, really hilarious, he, he was the one who taught me a little bit about American football, he was a massive Pittsburgh Steelers fan, he also taught me a little bit about uh, ice hockey and the penguins and he drove us around a little bit we we drove one day to uh, into um, downtown Philadelphia and that was a really fantastic day out and really the first time that I'd seen a huge American city I always remember when I first arrived and the family picked me up from the airport and as we pulled onto the highway we were immediately overtaken by a a long one of those stretch limousines a white stretch limousine and I thought oh typical here we are welcome to the USA five minutes in and there's already a stretch limousine driving by after a couple of weeks the family was heading back to their home which was to be my home and that was in Tulsa Oklahoma and the family were flying back to Tulsa but I decided to take the Greyhound bus because I'd read Jack Kerouac's On the Road and I was so inspired by that I thought ah this will be really cool Greyhound bus across America really living the Jack Kerouac life 
And I will tell you, uh, the Greyhound bus I took from Pittsburgh to Tulsa. It was a 28-hour journey with a stop in St. Louis, Missouri. And it was one of the most uncomfortable, painful experiences of my life. And also quite terrifying. The stop in St. Louis is, is effectively the meeting point for people traveling from New York City through to Los Angeles. And so... A lot of people got onto that bus when I changed buses in, in St. Louis. A lot of the passengers who got on board looked like they were not exactly going to be my best friends for life. And I sat there clinging to my backpack and uh, feeling quite nervous for several hours as we crossed the U.S. until we finally made our way into grand old Tulsa, Oklahoma. And in Tulsa, I worked with the family, I, I worked for them, I was doing a lot of manual labor and some uh, different jobs here and there. I did some computer support for some of the neighbors who were paying me little bits and pieces here and there. I did some gardening for a psychologist who lived across the street from the house. And eventually I was able to save enough money to buy a plane ticket out to San Diego I flew out to San Diego and spent uh, a few weeks there just doing some random jobs and working, but started to feel a little bit unhappy, a little bit. I was missing my friends, I was missing my family, and I had a girlfriend at the time that I'd left South Africa, and I was missing her as well, and we were still in contact, but in those days it was not like today. You couldn't just chat via WhatsApp or text or you could send emails, but you'd you'd have to find a computer and log in and, and check your email. And then with the time difference, you could only see them the next day. There weren't, there, there wasn't a network, a cellular network that allowed connectivity uh, to exchange simple text between South Africa and the USA or the UK and USA. So... I became very lonely and, and in fact made my way back. I decided to leave. I made my way back by planes and trains and cars. And I finally got back to my entry point, Pittsburgh. And flew from Pittsburgh out back to Manchester, United Kingdom. And I spent a week in, in the UK with my brother and my uncle and aunt. In fact, in their home in the north of Wales. And then I headed back home. I'd been offered my old job back. And in fact, I had been my salary had been doubled. So I went back to my old job. And one year into that, believe it or not, my girlfriend was no longer around and I was missing the USA and I wanted to go back to the USA. And I decided to do exactly that. I went back again with Tulsa, Oklahoma as my base. And the second time around, I was very fortunate in that I met some really great friends. I met a guy called Kurt who was picking me up almost every day and taking me to different little live venues and and so on. And I, I met a lady named Diane who introduced me to her ex-husband who was an artist, a writer, a former English professor at the University of Tulsa so he shared a lot of stories with me and a lot of 
literature. He he shared stories. He he was a, a Vietnam War veteran, so a lot of stories from those times and a lot of stories about his professorial days. And in fact, through their daughter, she took me to the famous Kane's Ballroom, which I knew well because it was where the Sex Pistols played when they passed through Oklahoma. I didn't quite get to see the Sex Pistols or even a punk band like the Sex Pistols, but who I did see was Tegan and Sarah. Oh, oh, oh. 
So that was Where Does the Good Go by Tegan and Sarah. And that was from their album called So Jealous, which was actually released a few years after I saw them live. But it was the only song that I have access to. So I wanted to share that with you. It is a song that I do love. And it was a great experience being at the Canes Ballroom and, and witnessing Tegan and Sarah. Another band that I had actually seen before that in, in Oklahoma was, and in Tulsa, was Hanson. Um, and it was a coming home show, and I didn't, I never knew before that that they were from Tulsa. So that was interesting. But unfortunately, that day it was around about 42 degrees Celsius, which is about 110 to 115 degrees Fahrenheit. And I watched about three songs of... of Hansen and I left to go home. But on this little circuit of live venues that we were going to, Kurt and myself, one night we bumped into a local musician who, who Kurt had been telling me about and he said that she was really great and, and I was I was skeptical. And in fact, we were there and uh, this beautiful lady walked out on stage carrying all of her own equipment and setting it up herself and then playing this beautiful set and her name was Jenny Lebeau and in fact during one of the breaks Kurt had been nagging me to go and say hello he said she'll love you she'll love your accent and of course I don't really like just approaching people who are musicians particularly while they're performing a set and anyway at some point during a break in the set Jenny walked over to me and uh, sat down next to me and said, you're the British guy, right? And I said, yes, I am. And uh, we started chatting a little bit and I told her that I was really enjoying the show and she said that it was really nice to have me there and hopefully we could have a drink after the show. And, and that was it. Jenny and I became friends and this was in two th 2001. And to this day, we are still friends and we still chat, mostly via text these days, but we we text each other at least once every week or so. And um, we have met up a few times in, in Boston when she traveled out there for work and so on, and I was living there. And hopefully, now that I'm in Dallas, we'll be able to meet up again soon. But I'd like to play you a song here, one of my favorite songs by Jenny LeBeau, and it's one called 40 Seconds. Into you. 
There's a mountain and your head is reeling You can climb over and touch the ceiling This time is our time and I will love you If you don't mind Forty seconds is all to be with you and to be free Close your eyes and just let me into you Into was 40 seconds by Jenny LeBeau and that version is from an album called In Your Room which was actually just a, an, an EP that Jenny released in 2004 a few years after I had left the US and one of the reasons that I that I love that song and I probably am completely wrong about this and I've never actually confirmed or spoken to Jenny about it but one night we were chatting at one of her shows in between two sets that she was performing and she said to me, we only ever have 40 seconds between sets to chat, so we need to meet more afterwards. So maybe my memory is a little bit fuzzy on that, but I'm 99% certain that was what she said to me. And then I heard the song 40 seconds several years later and I thought, ah, Jenny wrote a song about me. And with that, folks, I think I have probably stretched your ears a little bit too much. Uh, I've probably bored you to tears. You're probably lying on the floor fast asleep somewhere, wherever you're listening to this. So I should end off for now and publish this. And I hope to see you again in the coming days with some more literature talk, some more travel talk and some more music talk. Take care and thank you for listening.